who's more financially secure, the person who's got one $500,000 salary job or the person who's got five different sources of income that are $100,000, right? What's up, everybody? My name's Mike Shogren here with my co-host, Emmanuel Pani. We're part of a group of specialized real estate investors you've probably never heard of. We didn't start with deep pockets or wealthy families, and we don't rely on 401ks, mutual funds, or traditional real estate investing. In fact, many of us don't even own the properties that fund our freedom. If you ask the money experts out there, they'd say what we do is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through a new niche called short-term rentals. We are Short-Term Rental Nation, and these are our secrets. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Short-Term Rental Secrets Podcast. I am your host, Mike Shogren, here with my main man and brother from another mother, Mr. Emmanuel Pani. What is going on, E? My brother, it is always a pleasure to see you. Happy birthday. It was just your birthday, so happy birthday. You make you. however old you are look good, man, so it's, it's a <laughs> blessing. It's all, this, it's all this passive income that comes from real estate that makes you age so gracefully. Um, but... Man, life is good. Fighting, fighting with banks for refinances. They're a little bit of a pain in my ass right now. Um, oops, I was not supposed to say that ass word, but that, that happened. Um, but yeah, man, you know, and it's, and it's a constant reminder of sometimes you got to have grit, man. You just got to keep on pushing and keep on knocking doors. Uh, and then just finding somebody that's going to give you the answer that you want. You know, it's a lot of the times I think when you get started somewhere, you don't realize how many no's you're going to hear. Um, so even after almost 10 years in this business, you know what I mean? Dealing with banks, no matter who you are or what you're doing, there's always going to be somebody with a bunch of papers in their hands on their desk that's going to just be like, no. And then you either get sad or run away or you just kind of put your thinking cap on and you're like, okay, how can I reframe the situation to make myself look the way this gentleman or this lady wants me to look for them to give me the money that I need to refinance, right? So that's kind of my space in this last week. I know you're in a similar similar space probably with the hotel. Um, so it's interesting. How are you guys? I'm good, man. And And again, to your point about persistence, that's why it's one of the the 13 key principles from think and grow rich, right? Like when you know what you want and you just stay persistent, you cannot fail. You just keep going until you get what you need. Um, and it, it happens for everyone. So like when, whenever you're starting down your journey and you're running into resistance, if it's what you want, if you keep going, that's normal, right? So just, just keep going, keep trying, keep playing the game, figuring it out until you get what you need and you'll be fine. Don't take that as, Oh, this is a sign. This isn't meant for me. You know, I'm different. I'm special than everybody else. No, this mm -hmm. is life. This is what happens. And you yeah. continue on until you make it happen. So yeah, yeah I heard, I mean, we're still I shopping heard, out the, go ahead. Sorry. I heard a great analogy the other day and I don't remember where from, but it was along the lines of life is a deck of cards. And as soon as you open that box, you know, there's going to be four aces in the deck of cards, right? But as you keep switching them and flipping them over, it's going to take you a while before you get to the ace. But you got to remember that the ace is in there. So you just got to flip through enough cards and eventually the aces will come. Mm, and then you flip through enough that. cards and the second ace will come and the third one will come and then the fourth one will come. And then you get a joker, which is like, that can be whatever you want, right? So it's just that little reminder of like, dude, just keep on flipping cards, man. Sooner or later, you know what I mean? You'll get through the whole deck and you'll find all your aces. That's it. That's the name of the game. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited for today's guest. Um, he is a financial planner who is also a short-term rental host. Uh, he's been active in real estate for a little bit. He's got a blended portfolio of, of short and long-term rentals. And again, I'm excited for this episode because as a financial planner, I mean, this, his whole life is around planning for wealth and cash flow and helping his clients do the same. And so I'm really excited to get his perspective on short-term rentals versus long-term rentals, real estate in general, and how that fits into the bigger picture of a solid, you know, financial plan. And so today we have Mr. Alan Franks. I'm just going to read his bio here. He is a CFP, Certified Financial Planner. 
He owns his own financial planning firm. Uh, with each of his clients, he discusses building wealth through real estate, and he shares his experience uh, being hesitant about being a short-term rental host until he took my course. Uh, now he's helped his clients purchase their dream mountain homes and beach homes, all while building their net worth and increasing their cash flow. Uh, he's based out of is it Atlanta or Macon? Atlanta? That's right, Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia, down in the uh, the good old South, down by my brother, and yep. uh, we're excited to have him on. So welcome to the show, Alan. Hey, thanks guys for having me. Really excited to be here today. Yeah, yeah, we're excited to have you. So why don't you uh, kind of bring us back to the beginning? You know, you and yeah. I, were, the three of us were talking offline, kind of the the rich dad, poor dad. Uh, That's right you know, methodology that your father instilled in you. So why don't you take us back to that and how it led you to where you are now? That's right. So, so I was born in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And at a very young age, we moved out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and now it is just this, you know, blossoming community. Reynolds Plantation in Lake Oconee is a great retirement community. A lot of people travel there. Really now, now a nice community. When we moved there, it was in the middle of nowhere. And being surrounded by these uber wealthy people, my dad was always trying to find a way to grow his wealth. And he was trying to do that prior. Um, but he really became enamored by Robert Kiyosaki's dad or book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And uh, I remember him bringing home one day this board game. It's called Cash Flow. It's a great board game. If you have kids, I really recommend you playing this game with them. A great, easy way to talk about finances with your kids. But what was great about this board game is on the outer layer, you had all these amazing deals that you could take part in that would make you just tons of money. But before you got there, you had to get out of the rat race. And the rat race was a circle that was in the middle of this board. And the only way to get out of the rat race was to have your passive income outweigh your monthly expenses. And so what's so cool about this game is that you would pull a card and you never really wanted to pull the attorney, for instance, because they always had the most debt, the best car. So you had to work really hard to get the passive income to outweigh those expenses. Um, so you always wanted to get like the, you know, the construction builder, whatever it was, right, uh, that had the lowest expenses. And that's really, that was my entry into understanding how real estate worked. And I watched my dad dive into it and he started building his portfolio. And the two things I learned from my dad there were that, you know, he probably started a little bit later than he wanted to. And also these long-term rentals weren't really cash flowing that much. They were building his net worth, which was fine. And we might talk about that a little bit later, but um, you know, he was uh, really breaking even. Now this was also the time where you could almost get a mortgage for nothing down as well, right? So putting not much money down and not really, uh, you know, cash flowing that much. But that was my entryway into real estate. Um, flash, uh, you know, flashing forward, went to Mercer University in Macon, Georgia, um, and studied economics. And it's super fascinating because I got to study economics during the 08 crisis. Um, super not fascinating, graduating a few years later and trying to find a job. Right. So uh, here I am, 2010, uh, you, you know, worked my butt off in college to get a good job. And there's nothing there except for financial planning jobs. And thank goodness there. And that's what's great about my profession is when turmoil spikes, we actually become more in demand. So we're one of the few professions that when the market's down, people actually seek advice more often. So we've been super busy lately. It's been a lot of fun. Um, but I got into the financial planning world, quickly found out, y'all, as many of y'all probably know, that most of our industry is, is that should be called financial selling, right? It's, you know, a lot of people and a lot of companies are really there to push product. And I did that. I did that for five years. And frankly, I got burned out. That's not why I got into this profession. And so I switched firms and went to a more comprehensive financial planning firm. And that's when the light went off. And that light was this, that money is simply a tool and a, a tool that when leveraged properly can really help you live your fullest life. And that's the main tenet of my firm that I started, uh, the Mill Financial Partners. If you think about a mill, it takes in water that creates electricity that lights up people's lives, right? That's how we see financial planning. We, we take in people. They don't have to be the wealthiest in the world. 
Um, you know, they, they don't have to be fully established. We've taken people, we, we take what they give us, that's the water, we put it in a financial plan. And our whole philosophy is how do we help you live your fullest life? And that's how we think about wealth. That's how we think about short-term rentals. And that's how we think about financial planning. I love it. That was well said. <laughs> so how did, uh, how did it go? So you saw your, your parents getting into real estate rental properties. Mm-hmm. At what point did you get your first rental property? And then how did that transition over into short-term rentals? Great question. And, and before I answer, um, where I'm at now, I want to tell you what I regret not doing first. Um, number one, I am going to help, you know, we don't have any kids yet. When we do, I'm going to help them purchase their first home while in college. And I'm going to supply the down payment. I'm going to split it with my kids and they're going to be in charge of management. I wish that my dad, you know, encouraged me to do that. I did I didn't see the light then, right? I wish I had done that. Second of all, right when I got out of college, I wish that I would have, you know, not wasted four or five years renting and would have bought then. I would be two head, two homes ahead. Um, but then the light started going off. We moved to Roswell, Georgia, which is a suburb of Northern Atlanta. And I borrowed some money. I've got, I had a cash value life insurance plan. I borrowed a little bit of money uh, from that uh, for the down payment. And man, was it a lucky time. We bought right before the housing boom happened. I think the, you know, we bought in like April and the housing boom ended up happening a couple months later. And so here we are just getting exceptionally lucky with our first home. And we, you know, live in there for five years and a couple of years later, you know, we pay off that loan to the cash value. We borrow it again to get another rental home, another long-term rental home. And that was cash flowing pretty well for us. So each time we got a home, it was repaying whatever loan that we were borrowing from ourselves. Um, and then we were looking at mountain homes and we really wanted to get a mountain home. That's just, the mountains are where I find peace. That is just rejuvenation for me. And so we were looking at it and we were running the numbers and we actually stumbled upon your course and signed up for your course. By the way, I sent a lot of clients your way to your course. I think it's a great bang for the buck. It's well-priced. It is at a lot, adds a lot of value. And it really eliminated a lot of the fears that most people have about short-term rentals. So we take it and we're all excited about getting into the short-term rental market. Well, turns out that looking back, we may should have because mountain homes are really in high demand right now. But um, turns out we didn't go the mountain route. We actually went the city route and we found this property. Uh, once again, getting luck, getting a little lucky here. We found this awesome property located in West Midtown Atlanta, really happening place. And it was a property that had a two bedroom, one bath in the front. And then they finished off in-law suite in the back. And so with one property, we were able to create three listings. We were able to, we let people rent out the entire thing if they wanted to. We let people rent out the front part separately and then the back part separately. And so splitting a risk like that, this place was constantly getting booked. The, um, the challenge was, Michael, is that we fell in love with the house and with the area. And pretty soon we wanted to move in. So what we ended up doing is um, we could not do a short-term rental for our Roswell house because of HOA. So instead, we rented it fully furnished. And y'all, I'm a big fan. It was made it so easy to move. Y'all, furniture doesn't, it fits one house, right? It, it, you know, it doesn't really fit the next house. So renting our house more as an executive rental rather than a short-term rental was a good little mix and match in between. Um, and so uh, it just happens to be that we were able to get that rented right as COVID hit and all of our listings for the Atlanta house kind of disappeared there for about a month or so. So perfect, once again, lucky, perfect timing. We had somebody coming and moving into our house, getting about 20% more because it was fully furnished and really frankly, easier to rent because you're looking for such a finite person that is also looking for a home that's fully furnished and there's just not that many that are out there. So we were able to rent that out and move into the front portion of our Atlanta house, still renting out the back and law suite. Um, and so next thing you know, I kind of, I got, I got this running number in my head, Michael, of 
how much money do we have coming in from other people that are building our net worth? And I really want to get that number as high as we, it's not as much, as much about the cash flow to me. I don't need the cash flow right now. It's about building that net worth over time. And that leads us to the final chapter of after living in this two bedroom, one bath for four months, working and living out of there, we said, Hey, we need to get the heck on out of here. So we actually rented out that portion and we're taking the proceeds from that. And we are doing a work remotely throughout the North Carolina mountains right now. And Michael, it, it's unreal, man. It's 70 degrees. There's not a, you haven't seen a mosquito yet. Maybe we got great views. It's, uh, we're, we're living our best life right now. I love that. And yeah, we could almost we wrap up the podcast right now. We could <laughs> wrap it up right now. It's been the perfect podcast so far. <laughs> like, One thing I want to like... touch on though, is exactly what you're doing right now is a massive trend with short-term rentals. It's as people blending work and vacation. So they're just like, all right, well, if I can work remote now, why don't I just hit the road for a month or a week or two weeks and I'll go stay at E's beach house or my mountain house or wherever, and I'll just work there. So if you're a host or your potential host thinking about that, what do those people care about? Like I guarantee before Alan booked, he made sure that that place had really good Wi-Fi. So Again, from a marketing standpoint, make sure that you're putting that front and center on your listing. Take a, do a speed test on your phone and screenshot it and put that as a, one of your top four or five photos so that people, as they're flipping through, they see, oh, wow, he's got 100 megabytes a second. Like, I, this place is good. So, again, thinking about in the mind of the traveler, the trends that are happening now, what is important to them? Yeah, and, and I'll just I'll cut you off. back. I'll just piggyback off of that. It was so hard to find a place. It was much easier to rent our place than it was to find some place. Um, we're having so much fun doing this. We were looking for October and it's, it's slim pickings. Um, and plus, you know, we, we can't leave our dogs for a month, right? So you put, you put in pets allowed and that just eliminates like two thirds of the homes right then and there. Um, but uh, you're right. A lot of people are doing this right now. I think what uh, I think what I'm probably most proud of though is that I'm having somebody else pay for it by renting our house out. That that to me is pretty cool. I, I mean, it's, it's the name of the game, right? And I think this is one of the few biggest parts about this whole shared economy that we're in, right? Because you can do that with with a car right? We, we knew somebody that bought themselves a Aston Martin and put it on Turo. And then he would drive the car over the weekends or whenever he wanted it for free. Right. And it's all a matter of like, once you understand, and that's such a beautiful thing that you brought in the cash flow game. Because once you understand those very basic concepts from the cash flow game, you can then apply those everywhere else. Right. And unfortunately, our programming has brought us to one, the big job because the big job comes with a big salary, but it also comes with a big living expenses. So that game that we're kind of skewed to think, okay, we need to make the most amount of money to have the bigger life. Whereas sometimes when you kind of start humble and you figure out immediately how to replace your income, then you have the freedom that you can go wherever you want, do whatever you want, work from anywhere. And then who's richer, right? Is the lawyer with the big car that cannot, is not cash flowing at all? Or is the guy that can do financial planning from the mountains of North Carolina? Yeah. And to piggyback off of that, I mean, who's more financially secure? The person who's got one $500,000 salary job or the person who's got five different sources of income that are $100,000, right? Because, you know, when you're working at a big time corporation, making big time money, it's, you know, you got the ego going, it's great. You know, we've got great benefits at any point in time, you know, that can, that can flip. And particularly when we run into times like we are right now, where some companies are hurting, you know, they're, they're looking to shed some salary. And, uh, you know, that's what I love about, about rentals in general is that, you know, that's, it's a small business. And, um, you know, one day, one day you'll be cash flowing. If you're not cash flowing already, you'll be cash flowing extremely well in the future. Yeah, for sure. So as someone that has a blended portfolio of short-term and long-term, 
what has been your experience? Because what I found is if, if folks are not in the game yet, they have a couple reservations. One is, am I actually going to be able to rent it enough to make money? And then two, you know, how much work is involved? This sounds like a ton of work. So for you running your own firm now, doing all these other things, working from the road, like what has been your experience with your long terms and your short terms as far as income and time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. So I, I will say this. I like to manage my own properties. I, right? I, I, um, one day we'll hopefully have enough where we have to outsource and that's a goal that we will have. But um, the long-term rentals are super easy. I was telling you guys, you know, I had a coach once tell me the thought is more overwhelming than the action. I was just chatting with a client the other day who found a way to buy a house, which by the way is really hard right now to buy, a, to actually win the bid for a house. And they're going to list their current house for rent, right? And we were just walking through how easy it is to list on a Zillow for a long-term rental. Um, you know, they do the application, the background there for you. I spend... I spend one day a year, you know, going down to my long-term rental homes to check in on it. You know, if I'm in town, I'll swing by, but most of the time it's just basically the check-in and the check-out of the new tenants and maybe an hour, a quarter on each home. It's, it's really, uh, you know, not nearly as bad as what most people would imagine. Um, and, you know, and actually, I like a high-maintenance renter for my long-term a lot better because a high-maintenance renter cares. And they're, you're going to let you know that stuff's broken. Um, and you're going to be able to fix it up front before it's a bigger problem. So the long-term rentals, um, I, I manage them on my own. I'm, I'm pretty much in charge of that. Um, where the teamwork comes in is I've got this rock star of a wife. I, it, you know, once again, getting lucky, I'm married extremely well. And she loves being an Airbnb host. And it's so fun to her. And, you know, honestly, we don't really look at hosting Airbnbs as, as work. I mean, we got an alert yesterday that somebody's going to pay us, you know, I think it was 1700 bucks to live in our back studio apartment for the month of October. That's a huge win. And, and, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I guess it's only 1700 but that feels like so much more than the money that I'm going to earn from my living and that she's going to earn from her living. It just feels different. Right. So the Airbnb, you know, it is obviously more hands on, but we've got it automated with the cleaners that have, you know, with the calendar. So they just automatically come in when they need to. We needed a handyman. It's funny. We we left. We haven't had to do a bit of work in seven months. The moment that we leave town, three things break. Um, they had a handyman that they were able to send right there and they got it fixed. And so, uh, of course, it's a little bit more but I, I wouldn't call it work though, Michael, it's fun. It's fun interacting with people. And so that's kind of how we break it down and we avoid paying um, huge management fees on this stuff. Hmm. And, yeah. and as much as, as this goes against my own personal interest, owning property management businesses, um, I tell that all the time to people, right? And that's my personal answer is really understanding one is how you're going to look at it. But if you look at it in the sense of what is the freedom percentage that you're getting from the money that you're making then you're calculating that into the equation if you have one property is it worth paying me 10 percent to do it i don't think so but then it's up to the person right and i love your overall attitude about this whole industry because what you see is the freedom that each reservation brings you right and then your wife loves the hosting right and i think it's such a big part that we kind of like have moved away from is the pleasure of hosting somebody because if you have that type of personality there's nothing better you know there's nothing better than having somebody go to your own place that you furnish and you did all the little things for and they're like i feel just i feel at home yeah it, there's it, an innate human thing that you just like ah yeah yeah satisfaction Speaking of the freedom, we, we don't have any kids yet, but we're about to move into that stage of life. And, you know, it'd be awesome if, if Allison at least has the opportunity to say, hey, you know what, I want to give up the nine to five and I'm going to run our real estate portfolio here. And we have a good enough portfolio to, to run that. 
And, and I know that you guys are really big on also managing other people's properties. And that's something that, that Allison's thrown out. We haven't gotten into that yet, but um, you know, Allison, after seeing how easy it is, once you automate everything, that might be something that we look into as well, particularly as our clients, as my clients are starting to get more of the second homes, helping them get it up and running. I think that Allison would be great at that. Yeah. And I think having the right uh, teammates or understanding who you are as a person, like E is much more extroverted than I am. Like I have no problem doing these interviews, talking on stage, all these different things, but from a pure hospitality, like I'm not that guy. I'm not, I'm awesome with operations, systems, finances, but I'm not the sweet nurturing guy. So I, early on, I had systems in place that, you know, I had help crafting my automated responses and things like that for my wife, who is excellent at that, right? And then I templated them. And then as I grew and I scaled, I brought on virtual assistants who complemented my skill sets. And then we brought on a local person to help us with the boutique hotel, who was also amazing with people. And I can, you know, oversee the operations, but I don't have to be amazing at everything. I know what I'm good at. So I look for team members and systems that can basically take care of my weaknesses or things that don't light me up. So if you're somebody that's like, I have zero desire to like bake cookies for a guest, that's fine. You don't have to be that kind of person. If you do love the, the hosting side of it, I don't know any other business that is more fulfilling than this. If you're into that kind of thing. And the income that you can make is, you know, from doing this for a while now, it's pretty incredible. And with the right systems, it's, you know, maybe it's not a couple hours a year, maybe it's a couple hours a week, but I'll take that all day. Right. So in, I guess in your experience, you know, what were some of the fears that you had coming into it from a short-term rental standpoint, right? Like you're comfortable with the 12 month leases. Cause I think a lot of folks that listen to this, they're already in real estate or they're, they already understand the concept of long-term rentals, right? It's, it's pretty stable quote unquote, that can be debatable with all the, the moratoriums going on right now. Um, but the big fear is, is like, am I going to be able to rent it out enough? And then how did you guys get comfortable getting over that line and actually pulling the trigger and doing this thing? Yeah. Yeah. And, and to start, I, I do want to put a, uh, I want to say a positive about long-term rentals and then really talk about how much better the short-term rental game is. Um, what's <laughs> great about long-term rentals is, is this concept of other people's money. People go and they deposit money in a bank. You then go to the bank to get a mortgage to purchase a home. Okay. That's using other people's money to get something that you otherwise could not get if you were to pay for cash. And we, uh, my, one of my best friends is from the country Columbia and there, they really don't have a good debt system and, and that because people can't borrow money easily, they're really stuck. And there's this huge gap between the rich and the poor because basically the rich stay richer and the poor never really able to get over that hump. Right? So the ability that we can go borrow somebody else's money to buy an asset that we otherwise could not own on our by ourselves is really awesome. Right? Now where it really gets fun is where we use other people's money to pay off that loan. So what's great about long-term is that we're using other people's money to buy an asset that we otherwise could not, probably could not purchase. Maybe somebody out there has got enough cash to do it, but then we're using other people's money to pay off that, that loan. So what's great is we have this dynamic where over, let's call it 30 years, our loan is getting paid off. May not be cash flowing that much, but our loan is getting paid off and hopefully right in time for us to retire. In a world where social security is kind of up in the air, in a world where pension plans are a thing of the past, how awesome would it be to have, you name it, number of homes that are paid off and paying you every single month? That's really awesome. So some of the best financial plans I've ever seen, they didn't have that much money in the stock market or in their 401ks, but maybe they had 10 or 15 rental homes that were completely paid off. They were just paying them a pension every single month, right? So that is what's cool about long-term rental. Same thing with short-term, right? But uh, it, you know, what I would say about long-term rentals is obviously the multiples on them and the cash flow on them, you, you know, are, are not nearly as strong as what you're going to find 
in the short-term rental space. So for instance, you know, if we're getting a long-term rental, if we make it an executive rental, we're typically looking at getting about 20% more than what the market rate is for a long-term rental. And if we're going to make it a short-term rental, we're looking at anywhere from 50 to 100% uh, more um, each month. And that's why, as talking to Michael earlier, I don't think we're ever going to get back into the long-term rental game. I think it's going to be short-term rentals from here on out. And, and, and my dream is to just have a lot of awesome homes all over the country that we can, you know, use when they're not being, uh, when not, not being lived in, uh, and rented out. And that's kind of our dream from here on out is to just have a portfolio of, of these awesome homes. And this yeah. is great because it comes from our financial planner, right? Like it almost makes us like sound smarter because we have a financial planner on the show today. So we're like, this is like, like, this is what the doctor this is what the doctor is ordering, right? It's like, how do we create this, you know? Um, but we, so if you are, are you seeing more and more people in the financial planning space kind of bringing on vacation rental as part of the real estate side of portfolios or, or would you think you're kind of at the beginning of it that? Is so, so great question, E, and, and that's why I formed my, uh, formed my own firm here. Um, it, it, we are so unique in this area. It is not in my best interest for, to tell my clients to put their money in assets that are not under my management, right? Um, it, it, you know, it is not in my best interest to do that short term. Long term, I know that that's going to give them an income that they can use in retirement so we don't have to take out as much money from their 401ks, IRAs, and all that stuff, right? So, no, I, I think we're very unique in that we focus so heavily on building net worth through real estate here. Um, and, and just helping people get over some of the hurdles. Mike, I don't think I fully answered your question earlier about, you know, what were we afraid of? The same thing everybody's afraid of, right? Uh, you know, my, my parents are building a mountain home right now and they're afraid to, you know, they're afraid to rent it because they think that other people are going to mess it up. And what they, you know, what they don't know is it's actually going to be kept better care of and they're going to be able to, I want to talk them out of it. I want to talk them into renting because, you know, they can then take that money and not only upkeep the house to where it needs to be, but also maybe even use some of the profits to go travel and stuff of that nature. Um, but yeah, going back to the financial planning and what's scary is a lot of times people have a misconception on the mortgage part of the deal and how much we need to put down. And I think what the biggest thing for me about short-term rentals is that oftentimes you can get mortgage for a second home. Right. So when we bought our short term rental, it was for a second home. And that is such a big deal. And here's why. If you were going to go buy a primary home, you can get in at FHA for 3.5% down, a conventional for 5% down. PMI is as low as it's ever been recently. Right. So that's, you know, it's not the big fear that it used to be 20 or 30 years ago. PMI is very affordable. Um, and, and that's a great way to build a real estate portfolio. So kind of what my, my wife and I are doing is we're buying our first home and then we are moving and then we're just keep on going doing that so we don't have to put as much money down. But when you go to buy a rental home, we're looking at 20 to 25% down. So I don't care how big the home is. If you got a $100,000 home, that's a lot of money down right there. What's great about the short-term rentals is oftentimes you can justify that as a second home. Um, and in the second home, it's only 10% down and the interest rates are very similar to the primary mortgage. So the first thing is dispelling the, you know, dispelling some of the rumors of how much we got to put down. We don't have to put 20% down. We don't have to avoid PMI, right? So a lot of the times that's the big hurdle that we have that we're trying to get our, our clients over that hump. And then when we show them some of the numbers and some of the um, expected cash flow, that's when they start to really get excited. Mm. Education, man. Education makes such a difference. It leads to empowerment. It, yeah. Education leads to empowerment, and empowerment leads to better and quicker decisions. One of the first things that I ask people when they come to me is, one, I ask them, what is your goal? You know, how much, how much are you looking to make? And then when they – most people tend to just throw out a number, 10 grand, 20 grand, 50 grand a month, whatever it is. And I say, okay, how much does it cost you to live your lifestyle right now? And 95% of the people I talk to, they don't have that number. 
And I want to bring this up because as a financial planner, I'm sure you're working off something similar where you're like, if, if you don't know what that number is, that number is everything. Because once you can replace, once you can cover that number with your other income stream, short-term rentals, long-term rentals, whatever it is, you're financially free. And that was the ultimate goal of the cash flow game by Robert Kiyosaki. So if you don't know your starting point, you know, I would, from the, I don't know, hundreds of conversations I have with people, most people's expenses are between four and 8,000 a month from what I've seen right now, when I break it down, I'm like, okay, depending on the market that you're in, that's four to 10 short-term rentals. It's not a lot. And you don't need to own them if you want to manage other people. So you can do it very quickly. We did it in a year and a half once I figured this thing out. My wife, myself, and my mom, and like your parents, like I'm up in New Hampshire, I convinced my parents to buy that one. And then my mom quit her job from the income on it. <laughs> so like, it doesn't take that much. And that's why I'm like screaming this from the rooftops. Like, if you really want to be financially free, just do this thing and it will happen very quickly. That's right. Right. And it, it, that's right, Mike. And just to piggyback off that and maybe put a plug in for financial planning, I, you know, everybody's always looking for the get rich quick scheme that we're wired that way. I don't care who you are. We're always looking for that, even if it's in the back of our mind. And people think that they could just go from, you know, not having a good financial place to, uh, you know, getting that short term rental, right? It's not that easy. And it can take some time to get there, but I'm certain you guys had a lot of those fundamentals. But what I'm getting to is that what we do, a little plug for us, we actually have a, a four-week, four to five-week financial course that we put each of our clients through. And the very first one is on the, is on the vision, uh, you know, visioneering, what we want, what we need. But the second one is on cash flow management. And on there, there's two sides to cash flow management. Number one is what is your monthly number? What is your monthly amount of expenses, right? Because that's one thing that we can kind of look at immediately and maybe lower, but that drives everything. That drives how much you need to have in an emergency fund. That drives what your retirement number is, right? But in that meeting, the second thing that's maybe even more important, when we're talking about cash flow management, we always focus in on the budget. We never focus in on increasing our revenue. Isn't that nuts? Everybody's so focused on decreasing their expenses, and nobody's really focusing on increasing their revenue, which is exactly what short-term rentals do. And so my, you know, when we formed the Mill Financial Partners, the idea was we are not going to be a firm solely for millionaires. We are not just about preserving wealth. We're about creating it. We're help, help, helping people grow it. And what we do is maybe before they get to you, getting them to that financial spot where they understand what their cash flow is. They understand how to build their credit score to better, uh, you know, get approved for that mortgage. They understand how much they need to, to earn from these things. And so it's, it's as easy as it is. I think it's also, you know, super important. We got to have those fundamentals. And once you have those fundamentals in place, then it really gets, it really gets fun after that. So for, for somebody that's not familiar with financial planning in general, what are kind of the components, right? Of like, okay, obviously like you have your, your budget or your spending plan and your, your income streams, but there's so many other things that you can go down the rabbit hole, especially once you leave a corporate job, right? And you're an entrepreneur, self-employed, you have all these FSAs and HSAs and all these other things that you can do. So, you know, just, off topic from short-term rentals, I think it would be beneficial yeah. for people to understand this. Yeah, yeah. So, so as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of financial salespeople out there and, and they, there's really three camps of advisors. Number one is you've got your risk management advisors and they are more on the life insurance side, the disability income insurance side, the annuity side. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely necessary to have, but most of the time necessary to have. But, you know, who wants to just focus in on risk management on the other side, we've got the investment advisors that are really focusing on portfolio management and getting those assets to grow. But in the middle in a very rare combination is what we call a boutique financial planning firm. 
And this is where they look at not only your insurances and risk management, but also not only your investments, but also everything else underneath the sun. Because the biggest thing I appreciate my clients to y'all is that every decision, pretty much every decision has a financial consequence, whether it's good or bad. There's a financial consequence. And it's really hard to get away from financial planning in any decision that you make. So what are the things? We always start with cash flow management. So what we do, we use a software that people link up their credit cards and their bank accounts. And what this software does is actually averages out their expenses for the last 12 months. So that they get their number immediately. They know exactly how much they're spending immediately. Second week, we focus really in on the risk management. Well, that's not just life insurance and disability income insurance, which as business owners is even more important because we don't have those benefits through corporate America, but it's also things like your car insurance and your home insurance and your umbrella insurance. It's also stuff like your estate planning and your LLCs and making certain that you're limiting those liabilities right there. The third week, um, we really focus in on the debt, right? And the debt has multiple things. It's, uh, sometimes there's toxic debt and we show people how to get rid of that toxic debt or restructure it. But most of the time we're working with people who don't have toxic debt and we're talking about more about leverage, right? When we talk about debt, there's this huge negative connotation. When we just change that term to leverage, huge positive connotation. And that's the leverage that can get us into these homes that we've been talking about. And one of my favorite things is making certain that it's just a small thing, making certain that people use the right uh, credit cards so that we can build up some credit card rewards points. So maybe we can go travel, travel the world. Um, and, and that's just a kind of a fun way, fun additional thing that we add to it. And then obviously investments, but throughout all this, you mentioned HSAs, FSAs, we have to keep taxes in mind. We don't have a specific week focus on taxes because it's running through the entire thing. One of the great things about owning short-term rentals, long-term rentals, real estate in general, is the tax benefits that we can have, right? Not only are we now an owner of an LLC that we can write business expenses off of, which is beautiful, beautiful, right? Um, but we also have this asset that's producing an income, but we can, unlike really many other assets, we can depreciate this asset. And so even though we're, it's almost like a phantom income kind of deal. And so that's what's so cool about owning real estate is not only does it make you a business owner, but it also gives you uh, a way to, to earn an income tax freely. I love, I love how, you, how you made the differentiation there between understanding that there's good debt and there's bad debt, right? And understanding that good debt is leverage, right? And, and the bad debt, so like for, I mean, at least in my understanding of it, the way that I always looked at it is bad debt is your consumer debt. So the shit that you got, oops, that, that, that you got into by buying things you can't afford to impress people that don't care about you just to be very, very brutal. Uh, the good that is everything else, right? Like the good that is when you take out from your FSA or whatever it is to do a down payment on a property that is generating your cash flow is paying down the debt, that's your good debt, right? Um, do you feel that that's an easier conversation to have with people nowadays? Like do a lot of your clients now come with a more kind of like balance look on that or or is that still like a leading problem when you start looking at somebody's financial situation it's a huge problem and and it's a huge problem for two reasons yeah i guess when our when our parents first got their first credit card which i don't even know when credit cards came out is it early 80s late 70s right uh it's an accelerant so people who have bad habits that's going to accelerate their bad habits and get them into even more trouble. And that's the stories that we, that we heard about growing up as kids. It's people getting into credit card debt. And if you don't take on debt, you'll never have that problem. Well, flash forward to post-08. Well, that was a housing crisis where people were over leveraged on their homes, right? And so we are, are particularly people in my generation, are just we're wired to be afraid of debt. And there's a very famous financial advisor out there that um, – it's done a lot of good for a lot of people in getting people out of debt. But there's so many people that I meet that are like, oh, I can't do that until I'm out of debt. It's like, really? You know, we're, we're going to wait to save money so that you can pay off your mortgage. That's interest rates at 3%. It, 
really? Let's talk through this. Let's talk through those numbers. So I would say this, it is still a big challenge that we have understanding what leverage is compared to that bad debt. Um, you know, one of the debts, obviously credit card is toxic debt, right? Um, one of the debts that's a little bit more challenging is student loan debt. Um, it's neither good nor bad, you know, I theoretical scam though. You know I mean? Oh, like, it's absolutely money goes, it. money goes straight from the government to the college and this 18 year old is left in between, uh, with a ton of debt. Right. And, and it infuriates me. I've, I've seen, you know, I've got some clients with three to $400,000 student loans, right. It's pretty crippling. Um, and they've probably been paying it for like 10 years and they've knocked down like $3,500 over the 10 years. Yeah, of the yeah. Wrong way. It's grown. It's grown. They paid all oh, that they could. And the interest has grown, right? Yeah. So, so we work with a lot of our clients. We've got a lot of doctors, pharmacists, attorneys that are, that, you know, that, that have these large student loans. We help them overcome those and still help them get mortgages with them too. So it's not, it's not a killer to the mortgage, uh, uh, to getting a mortgage, but you know, long story short here, it's still a problem. Me, I, I think that 08 had a, huge impact on a lot of people. And the, you know, the main financial advisor that came out of that time was such a no debt person that, um, that that's still, uh, it, it, it's still emanating throughout, but I think it's going, it's starting to slow down. I think that's starting to go away and people are starting to realize that, Hey, we, we can, we can get some good leverage, particularly right now with where interest rates are. You may not be able to find a house to buy, but it's a really good time to be refinancing, borrowing, that sort of thing. Mm. I love it. Well, one of the, the last question that we ask every guest, I'm going to put a little different spin on it because you are a financial planner. So what we typically ask is what is your best uh, number one secret for success as a short-term rental operator? And I want to twist that a little bit to be what is your number one secret for success from, I guess, building cash flow and wealth? particularly with real estate, because again, we've been talking a lot about the, the entire financial picture with your background. I want to make it a little more broad because I think it'd be more beneficial for the audience. Yep. Great question. Um, great question. Tough question. And I think I have the answer that, that I want to give you. Um, when we meet with, with clients for the first time, most people have no clue where all their money's at they have no clue what their expenses are. They don't even really know what their take-home pay is. The first thing that we do when we take on a client is we launch their own personal financial website that aggregates absolutely everything. It gives them a dashboard so that instead of having all these different websites they have to go into, they have one website that shows their 401ks, their IRAs, their mortgages, their um, credit cards, their checking accounts. And I would say this, just like a business has a dashboard that you watch and you watch closely, um, we need to treat our personal finances that way. And so I think the number one thing for people who are really good at increasing wealth is not that they're the best salesperson or that they're the smartest, but the fact that they just watch their stuff a little bit more, right? And they use technology to do that to make it super easy. And I think if, if everybody were to have a spot where they could go to once a week, just once a week, maybe once a month, to look at all their expenses on all their different credit cards, to look at all their income and all their different checking accounts, to look at all their investments in, in a snapshot, just to bring more awareness of what their money's doing, where their expenses are going. I think if all you did was that alone, you would get better at financial planning. But when, I, when I'm trying to lose weight, all I have to do, y'all, is input what I eat into my fitness pal. I don't even have to try to eat healthy. I just have to, I just have to track what I'm eating. And all of a sudden, it kind of just curves my human behavior. Well, if we've got a good picture of where everything's at, then and we, you know, we have an idea of where we want to go, then as he was saying, maybe we don't go buy that nice car that costs $750 a month. Maybe we do the downgraded one that costs 400 a month because that's 350 bucks that we could put somewhere else that maybe, you know, put towards cash until we can buy another short-term rental. So, so Mike, I would say this, um, whereas businesses have a QuickBooks or have a dashboard, whereas corporations will show somebody exactly where their sales at, having some sort of software that helps pull everything together is really just a, a, a dynamite start to getting, getting on the right track financially. 
And wow. and if you hear that and your objection is I'm not a technology person, me and Mike used to laugh. Who was it, Mike? Rockefeller? Or was it JP Morgan? They just said just keep a keep a no- Rockefeller. Keep a notebook with you in your pocket. Every money that comes in, you write it down. Every money that goes out, you write it down. So it's not rocket science, but his advice is absolutely gold because as Tony Robbins always says, right? Like what you put energy to kind of grows, right? And so many people know how many people follow them on Instagram. Like there is like you can ask them and they'll know, but then you ask them how much money is in your bank account. I don't, I don't know. I haven't checked in them in a month or six months. Yeah. And, and you said something uh, that reminded me of uh, one of my favorite quotes. It's a Will Rogers quote. It says, people spend money they don't have on things they don't want to impress people they don't like. And one of the, in, in pulling that into Mike's last question, one thing that, that I've found about all people who are naturally good at saving, they live simple lives. They find the joy in the simple things in life. They don't have to have that nice car. They don't have to have the biggest house. And, and you know, that's one thing when, when we meet people that are already doing really well on at least the cash flow side, that's the one thing they have in common is that they don't give a crap about what other people think. They're just enjoying being alive. Mm. I love that. So, Alan, where can folks get in touch with you, find out more about you and your personal financial planning and, and all that? Because this was massively valuable and I guarantee you're going to have some people reaching out. So thank you. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, so the best way to check us out is to go to our website. That is themillfp.com. So themill financial planner. So themillfp.com. And you can also, we just started our own podcast where we talk a lot about this stuff. We had somebody on to talk about credit cards. We had somebody, a nutritionist on to show us how to save money. And that is frankly financial. So my name's Alan Franks. That's frankly financial. And last but not least, we are actually having a digital summit on October 24th, um, where we are going to be diving into topics like this. Um, And that's just a great way. It's just going to be from 8.30 to noon, and it's free to join. And that's a great way to just come get a lot of awesome information that's not maybe your main, your main financial information, but kind of on the fringes of financial planning, all these cool little things that you can do. Um, so yeah, I would go to my website, themailfp.com. You can use my Calendly link right there to schedule a, a free initial comp, uh, uh, consultation. And uh, you know, looking forward to hearing from everybody. Awesome. Thank you again. Really appreciate your time. Thank you everybody for joining in and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you guys. Bye guys. Thank you. Hey, STR Nation. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes and we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.